everyone. My name's Michael Kaiser. And I'm John Wilson. And welcome to another episode of Make Ours Marvel. And should old acquaintance be forgot? This is a brand new year here at Make Ours Marvel. Episode 80, we are starting 1965. Happy New Year. Da-da-da-da. Kiss somebody. Also, episode 80. That's pretty cool. 80. Every time we say this, the number of our episode, I feel like, wow, that's a really freaking big number. Uh-huh. But then there's those guys out there who have like episode 355 or something. But Dude, have you seen Earth2.net, the show? I have a little, yeah. They had a thousand recently. Yeah. I don't, I don't know what it, those guys are doing. Is it every week without fail, though? I don't I know. I think it's multiple times a week. I don't know. Oh, if we'll it, forget them then. That's, that's <laughs> <laughs> also, we have more than 80. We have specials and mailers, too. So we're probably at a thousand also. Yeah, we're probably close to a thousand. Maybe, maybe even two. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. So we are starting with January 1965. But before we get into the comics, we thought we'd just spend like half a breath acknowledging mm-hmm. some pretty cool news that came out today or a few weeks ago as you're listening. Since we talked about other news last, you know, however many episodes ago, we might as well keep it going, right? Right. Um, so Sony and Marvel decided to reach a deal that Spider-Man will be in another MCU solo film and then one more MCU film after that. See? So all that whining and complaining, what a waste of time for you. What a waste of energy. Mm-hmm. Um, apparently, Sony has a lot of plans for Spidey and Spidey-adjacent projects, mm-hmm. and he may be appearing in movies that have nothing to do with the MCU, um, but he will be in at least two more MCU films. Well, I'm hoping at least more Spider-Verse, right? Although I have no idea if that's been announced or... I think a second Spider-Verse is on the official announcements. Oh, Awesome. Because I definitely want more of that. Yeah. There Uh, have been several projects announced over the last year and change, but how many have just been like, yes, we want to do this versus actually moving forward? I don't know. But you know how Marvel is. They always like solidify the date. So the Spider-Man movie has been slotted for some date in 2021, which is two years away, less than, because it'll be summer. Is that all? Yeah. That sounded like 20 years away, but yeah, two years. Dang. Yeah, it's 2019, right. dude. Ay, ay, ay. Yeah. Well, I'm glad to. I'm glad that. I mean, even if it doesn't last forever, I'm glad that it's back, um, so that they can choose to wrap it up as opposed to having it yanked out from under their feet. The yanking feeling was the was the least pleasant aspect. I was kind of copacetic with the idea that they could continue the plot lines mm-hmm. and just not mention the Avengers side of things and just focus on Spidey's life. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I'd still like the next movie to be very focused on Spidey's life without a whole lot of MCU stuff. But the fact that it can still acknowledge the MCU and and, and use that makes me happy. Because uh, I want him to have Iron Man computer stuff still. So we'll see how that goes. <laughs> I do like that. You want to tinking with the hammer on his new suit? Yeah. Or, you know, having those things where you just... He just slips his hand over a watch and says, I need that. And it like takes over somebody's computer or whatever. I love that oh, stuff. Yeah. What was yeah. it? E- Edith? Yeah. Or yeah. Uh, Friday. And there's, uh, of course, Jarvis and all that. Yeah. Edith. That's right. Even dead. I'm still the hero or something like that. Something like that. Yeah. 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 All right. So that's exciting. Yeah. Not as exciting as 1965, though. Well, maybe. But still, well, we're going to go to 1965. I mean, this guy tops Spider-Man, of course, because... Um, our first issue for 1965 introduces unquestionably the most spectacular new character of the year. 
The year's according, barely started and they're already saying this. According to the cover, yes, Stan has got it down. We're talking Kazar or Kesar, everybody. I like to say Kazar, but I was corrected in this issue. So I'll probably say it wrong a lot because I don't care. I'm too old to change. But Yeah, it's Kazar. <laughs> yeah, it's Kazar. They say it's not. But anyway, we're talking X-Men number 10 for 12 cents. Come out. Uh, did we say the date? January what? 5th? January 5th, 1965. Our first issue for 1965 is called The Coming of Kesar, pronounced Kesar, featuring a fascinating journey to the world that time forgot. Um, and it has a cool pinup that's unrelated. So anyway, you know how like the Avengers always start talking about who's the chairman of the week and the Fantastic Four always start like watching Reed Richards invent something or having family shenanigans. Well, the X-Men are always... Training. So we know we're in an X-Men book because this story starts with them training. Um, we've got them all dressed out except for Scott, who's still doing the suit. I'm trying to replace Professor X and be the leader outfit, even though Professor X is back now. Um, we've got Gene disassembling and reassembling a rifle. Um, everybody's proud of how awesome she's developing. Um, and then they all notice that the angel's missing. So they go look for him and he's watching TV. And they're like, hey, don't do that. And he's like, no, but look. And he's watching this news program about, um, um, is it Antarctica? Antarctica, like this guy disappeared on an expedition. And then this kind of uh, shirtless, pantless, underwear-clad guy with a saber-toothed tiger brings that guy back. Um, and, of course, they react poorly to that. Instead of being happy that he, like, helped their friend, they all attack him because he has a saber-toothed tiger. The saber-toothed tiger thrashes everything. The X-Men are like, wow, this is crazy news. What is this? Maybe this guy's a mutant. How is he surviving in the cold in his underwear? Um, so they go consult with Professor X. He says, no, no, the thing's – the guy's definitely not a mutant because Cerebro would have told me, plus my mental powers would have told me. But you know what? You guys look bored. Why don't you go experiment and check it out anyway? And they're all like, yay, vacation. Um, Professor X says he's not going to go, though, because everybody's graduated now. Scott, you are officially the leader. Handshake, father, son, pass off the baton. Um, and Xavier will never lead the X-Men again. And he'll never lead the X-Men again. And he probably hopefully won't solve all their problems all the time either with his <laughs> mental powers like he did the first five issues. Right. Um, Anyway, we cut to Antarctica. They're all wrapped up in their civvy outfits and they're driving around in this snowmobile thing. They find this deep chasm. And Cyclops decides the best thing to do is to shoot it. So they shoot it and that makes like this weird eruption and that makes a deeper hole and they start traveling down and they find this like burial ground of what looks to be monsters or dinosaurs or something. And then suddenly it opens up into this like tropical climate almost. And the first thing that happens is pterodactyls go after the angel. So they shoot those away. And they're kind of exploring around and finding all these weird, like, creatures and monsters that don't really exist. But now I guess they do or they used to exist. Um, and as they're, you know, tripping out on all that, these guys show up riding these big, like, prehistoric ostrich bird things and attack them with rocks full of uh, volcanic gas. So it knocks all of them out but the beast, who does a good show of trying to uh, beat them all up. But unfortunately, they steal Marvel Girl to take them back to their camp and marry her. Um, Kesar and Sabo, is that his name? Sabo, Saber 2 Tiger, show up and chase them away. I and pronounce then it Zabu. Zabu, sorry. And, and we'll see, but we also say Kesar, and it's Kesar. So maybe it's Sabu. But anyway. <laughs> um, anyway, Kesar uh, revives the sleepy X-Men 
but he doesn't really speak English too good. So there, he basically just keeps saying, I am Kazar, I am Kazar. And then like, they like try and, Hey, we're trying to be your friend. And they touch him and that doesn't work out. He doesn't like that. So then they all fight in the Marvel way for a while. But just as they're really getting into it, all of a sudden this other Neanderthal looking caveman guy comes up and challenges Kazar to a King of the Hill fight. And Kazar beats him up. And the X-Men of course are impressed. Um, and then basically like they convince him to go to help him, to help them find Marvel Girl because or Jean Grey because I don't think they call her Marvel Girl yet. Anyway, yeah, she's Marvel Girl. So he leads the way, but actually the angel leads the way because he's faster. And as he's flying ahead of them, the these same people who kidnap Marvel Girl throw a net around him. They take him back to their. They have like this little ancient civilization with like a bamboo fence essentially. Um, they're pretty. Uh, 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 I don't know what I'm trying to say, but they have like a this big rock pile thing where they can make a sacrifice to a big Tyrannosaurus Rex. So that's what they want to do with both Marvel Girl and Angel. They tie them up. Marvel Girl can't use her telekinesis to unravel her bonds because they coated them with tar, so it's too tough for her. She's not strong enough, but they forgot to do that with the Angel. So she manages to free him, and he picks her up, and they try and fly away, but he's too sluggish, and they... Anyway, as all that's happening, the X-Men and Kazar show up and attack, and there's lots of rock throwing, and there's lots of flipping, and there's lots of fighting. And then just as, you know, the odds are kind of even, um, Kazar does his Kazar call or roar, and all these, you know, mastodons and stuff come out of the jungle and, like, smash through the the city, through the bamboo fence, and everybody runs. they free Marvel Girl. They kind of say, hey, thanks, Kazar, for your help. And they shake his hand. But basically, he pulls a Submariner on him and says, yeah, you get out of here and never come back. So they're like, wow, he's friendly. So they leave. And then Kazar has the Mastodons like fill the hole back up so that no one can ever come back to this crazy, savage land that's not named. Leave and the never end. come back. Leave. No talk. Your world above, my world jungle. Only Kazar is lord of jungle. You go, no return. Yeah, he's not Tarzan at all. Yeah, so he's essentially Tarzan, right? I mean, right, I kind of lo- I, I looked it up, and he's like he's a combination of Tarzan and Joe Kubert's Tor, and and there was like a Golden Age version, and now there's this version or something. Right. So a note on that: um, uh-huh. Tarzan, the early classic Tarzan films, were pretty popular um, in the early half of the 20th century. Um, the, the books are like adventure, jungle adventure, but they are extremely difficult to read in the context of how they describe and treat native civilizations in Africa. Uh Um, they're, they're, they're really just terribly, horribly racist in that regard. (laughs) Yeah. But, um, but if you can get past that. They're pretty fun. Mm-hmm. Um, Tarzan was once again very popular in the 60s. There was another series of films being produced. Mm-hmm. So I think the idea of bringing back their Tarzan clone was appealing. Um, mm-hmm. There is a Golden Age version with the same name, same look, and same shtick, but completely different backstory. We get no backstory for Kazar here, but we will. Um, the backstory yeah, in the Golden Age is completely different. 
they have different identity names, don't they? Also, right, don't right, yeah, different. Yeah. yeah. So, and as far as I know, the Khazar from the Golden Age is completely out of continuity. Okay. It's, it, it, it's not that one morphs into the other. As far as I know, the other one never gets acknowledged. But I also have read very little solo Khazar, so there might be a whole like mythos there that I'm just completely unaware of. Right into podcasts at Magars Marvel. <laughs> um, there's also prior to the golden age, there was a pulp magazine, Kazar, right? Is that the same as the golden age? I don't know. Yes. Yes. You are so right. I completely forgot about that. The, um, the golden age comics were adaptations of the stories okay. from that pulp magazine. So the pulp guy and the golden age guy are the same guy. Right. And then this guy is a new guy. Right. Okay. But they both are called Kazar and they both look like Tarzan that's blonde. They definitely both look like a blonde Tarzan. Okay. So this is cool. Like what's weird about the X-Men is in some ways it's like seems such like a grounded idea. Like, oh, there's these people and they're mutants and then they war over, um, you know, whether you should kill humans or not. That seems easy. But then like X-Men always have the craziest like, oh, well, they have space adventures all the time. And mm-hmm. they have, and now, and they also, one of the staples they have is Savage Lands ad- Adventures. So this is the first foray into that, which is kind of cool. Cause that's like a thing that happens with them a lot. Yeah. I don't think, do they use the actual term Savage Land in no. this? No, but that's where it is, right? Yeah, I mean, it is. Yeah. It's definitely the Savage Land. Yeah. And it's the first appearance in the Marvel Universe, but not yet named. All the tropes are there though. Dinosaurs, uh-huh. um, yeah. multiple races and of, of, of tribal cultures and, it's just, um, it's funny what sticks because we read these You wouldn't these expect things. this to. No, I wouldn't expect this to. I enjoyed it because I know of other future Savage Land stories that I do enjoy. So it's like, oh, cool, the first Savage Land. But like, if you're just reading it from a 1965 point of view, I would just be like surprised that this happens again. Right. And maybe it was just early on, it was the, it was the popularity of the concept because mm-hmm. there was like, it has a whole like land that time forgot aspect mm-hmm. to it which is which is a pretty popular sci-fi trope um and so you have that going on and then it, you know you have at least one colorful character who lives there we can always use him to tell stories and that's Kazar. um i refuse to call him Kazar. i'm sorry <laughs> i know it's too hard right um this isn't the first uh uh, uh unknown land we've come across either so it's interesting that this one sticks versus like I don't know. Remember Tyrannus from Hulk and, and Mole Man? <laughs> well, I guess Mole Man sticks kind of. But there's always like these underground or, you know, secret Kala, worlds. Queen of the Netherworld. Yeah. So anyway. Um, remember how the X-Men graduated? Uh-huh. So they have a thing on page one, panel one, where it says. Um, page one, panel one. There's or maybe the, page two, panel one. I was yeah. going to say there's no panels on page one, but go ahead. Yeah. It says that they're catching up on some highly specialized postgraduate studies. Uh-huh. Um, postgraduate studies does not mean you've graduated high school and are still doing homework. That's not what that means. Yeah. So I don't think that they're pursuing doctoral degrees in disassembling rifles telekinetically. Well, that is just the weird thing in general. Like what are they grad when he says graduating, does he just mean high school or does he have like some weird mutant school where you have to disassemble rifles and put them back together again telekinetically in order to get a diploma? Yeah, what is Xavier's school for gifted younger youngsters actually anyway? See, I thought it was just a school and then 
you know, they're accepting of your weirdness, whereas a regular school wouldn't be. And then behind the scenes, of course, he's creating war or soldiers. Mm -hmm. But like, is this all incorporated into the graduation process? Or is this outside of, you know, learning your algebra? Well, see, I always thought of it as being like, the school was a place where you could learn how to hone your powers. And also, by the way, we'll teach you algebra. Yeah. But since everybody's powers are individual, you can't really have a degree in Iceman, can you? Like, No, I, I would imagine not. Because he's the only one who's going to go through that program. So either there's some sort of generic, how good can you control your powers program that he has going on, or the degree is just graduating, you know, actual school. Mm-hmm. I don't know. But postgraduate studies, and then it cuts to them training. So Yeah. That's but weird. postgraduate is, does not apply to high school graduation. Postgraduate only applies to higher education, post-baccalaureate degrees. So are they 18? Is this high school? Or was it high school? Two I think ago? it was high school. Okay. Which makes it weird for Iceman, because we've had it pointed out that he is the youngest uh -huh. than everyone by a year. So he graduated early then? Well, if there's only five of you and one professor, I could see it like all just, okay, let's just all unify us and go forward together, maybe. But There is something to be said for not using the school program as a cookie cutter where everything must be the same yeah. and letting a student go at their pace. So if, if Bobby was able to handle the same level of work that Scott was doing, then why not? Maybe. Maybe he's the genius of the group, except for Beast, of course. Except for Beast. Um. Yeah, so Cerebro is still like this thing that's in his desk drawer. Mm -hmm. And he also says that he would have sensed it, like he can just sense mutants, I guess. Well, he's, that's the thing is that Cerebro, at this stage, Cerebro is a substitute for Xavier, not well, an enhancement of Xavier. Well, on number four, page four, it says Cerebro machine would have recorded his presence. Also, I would have mentally sensed it. Like, it's two separate things. Yeah, I feel like both Xavier and Cerebro would have sensed him if he were there. Mm -hmm. um, but but he can sense maybe, people from Antarctica? I don't know. Mm, that's a long way away. But It is a long way away. Um, he says that he could have sensed something. Yeah. Um, remember when Cerebro was a super secret in a room they weren't allowed to enter? And, like, Cyclops was told secretly and mm. no one else was allowed oh, to know? Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. So now they all yeah. know, I guess. Now Cerebro is just a thing we have now. So this is this school thing. We're going to keep dwelling on this now, but now it's like, okay, they graduated school and Professor X doesn't want to lead them anymore. So they just hang out at his house. Are they planning to bring in more kids to go through school or – because I know that these five people are the X-Men for, what, 100 more issues at least or something like that, if not more. You mean before the, uh, before the Claremont revamp? Yeah, before they start throwing in more people and stuff. Um and yeah, then this the, is the core team for, for 60, 66 total issues. And then the new mutants are even farther away when they start doing a school thing again. So Right. It's like the school thing didn't last very long. We're only on issue 10, and it's already kind of not really a school anymore. Not really a school. Just a bunch of kids living with an old guy. Because even with the Claremont revamp, it's going to be like Wolverine and Colossus and Nightcrawler. Those guys aren't 10. No. No, they're you know, not. And they don't need a Xavier, school. When Xavier tries to use school-type discipline on them, Wolverine kind of balks at it. Mm -hmm. Like that's, that's not going to work with a 125 year old man. <laughs> right. So it's interesting that you always think of this as a school, but like they've already kind of done away with it anyway. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's interesting. Um, I, I like all of the little like semi-educational stuff about the different, you know, 
extinct cultures and like tiny horses and that sort of thing. Um, and my next note is on page 10. Okay. Yeah. Cause there's a lot of just, I mean, I really like the design. I think Kirby, sometimes Kirby's really on fire. And this is one of those issues where I think he drew it really well. And I really like the Savage Land design and all the cool animals and like the bow and arrow with the 12, you know, the four arrows in it and stuff. Like it looks dated, but different and like, I don't know, kind of neat, but it is all just kind of fighting and whatever until page 10, I guess. Yeah, because that's when, you know, Kazar shows up and introduces himself and the action kind of takes a moment to breathe for a second. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> panel four, the beast like touches Kazar and like Zabu goes to town on him. Mm-hmm. It is important, children, to learn that unwelcome touches are unwelcome. Um, there's no reason to put your hands on him. But why is Kazar dropping random hints to his life story? Many moons ago, other men on surface attacked Kazar. Kazar fled down here, will never flee again. Right, you know, as the guy is being attacked by your tiger, is definitely the time to talk about this. <laughs> it's it's weird because it's like they're trying to give us some backstory, but that doesn't really satisfy me, that backstory. I don't really know what it means. Mm-hmm. Um, and it doesn't really help explain why he's a naked blonde Tarzan who can't speak English, you know? Right. And I don't really know, honestly, I don't really know Kazar's backstory that well. So I guess, uh, you know, if we ever get to it, that'll be fun. But they don't tell you here, really. I expect that we will probably get to it. It's not super far away. And I think it's Kazar's next story. In fact, the Kazar I know can speak English. So I don't know if that's just something that changes gradually or if he actually has a point where someone teaches him how to speak English better. But Mm -hmm. it was kind of surprising that he spoke in this stilted Tarzan talk. I didn't expect that. And and as just as a note about Tarzan, in the books, he could speak English just fine. It was yeah. only in the movies they had him speaking like a sort of weird dialect. So um, when they change Kazar later on so he can speak more, they're actually bringing him in line, not just ignoring the Tarzan thing. But yeah, um, on page 12, Cyclops refers to Jean as our female partner. And he says that at least a couple times in this story. And that's weird. It's weird, but it's pretty consistent with how they treat all the females in these stories, it seems like. like you they, think so? Yeah, because I don't know. I don't want to spoil ahead, but like Avengers that we're going to be reading in next episode that does a lot of our female, our resident female, our designated female right. talk. I don't know. It's like this thing, like you're not only part of the team, but one of the roles of you being part of this team is you are the female. <laughs> which is like the thing that never gets said on the page, but everybody who reads knows your job on this team is to be the girl. Now, if you want, and it's not true at all, but we could headcanon that maybe he's trying to appeal to Kazar's barbarian nature. Our female is captured. Help us, you know? Oh, apply to your inner misogynist. Women can't yeah, be. Cause he yeah. obviously would think of a female as a female. Right. What he should say is the most powerful member of our team has been captured. <laughs> right. And what would have been great if she could just uncapture herself. But of course, R- Rosin apparently is just the most impossible thing to telekinetically deal with. Yeah. Or resin or whatever they called it. So the people's, the, or, or I guess it's one people, the, the, the culture in this definitely has its roots in the uh, you know harmful depictions of African peoples in the Tarzan books. Happily, these people are not colored as uh, no. you know African American or African descended um, because that would just compound the badness of it. But 
That's what they're emulating. Well, they call them something. I and mean, I can't remember what it is already. Oh, the Swamp Men. Okay. And I don't know if Swamp Men are supposed to be like human, like Kazar and Cyclops human, or if they're supposed to be more like that weird Neanderthal guy that challenged Kazar earlier in the story. Mm-hmm. It seems like Savage Land has a wide range of humanoid options. So, And I feel like Swamp Men is something that like we see again in the Savage Land. Maybe the Swamp Men is something we should write in the back of our brains. Yeah. Because they kind of look weird, so they could technically not even be human if they wanted to go that way, but I don't know. Um, dinosaur attacks, Angel and Gina are like, oh my gosh, it's a dinosaur. Um, she does trip it with her telekinesis, which is pretty awesome. Yes, that is good. And she throws rocks at it, so she does save their life. Her difficulty is that she has a hard time manipulating what she can't see, mm-hmm. and so she doesn't get herself untied. With time and careful effort, she can do those things. We've seen that before, but it's not easy for her. Right. That works. They also did say something about them coating her rope with, you know, tar or something. So it just made it strong and she couldn't rip it. But Oh, okay. But, yeah. uh, you know, she just knocked over a T-Rex. So it seems like she should be able to rip it. There is an Isaac Asimov quote from Beast on page 17. Nice. That they're going to get some flack for. Okay. Beast says, personally, I've always believed that violence is the last refuge of the incompetent. Mm-hmm. So it's saying that, like, incompetent people, when they've tried other things, they're going to go to violence. And that's what they dwell in. Um, I'm down When other things don't work, incompetent people are just going to fight. Right. People are like, oh, no, no. Incompetent people go to violence first. It's the first refuge of the incompetent. And, like, they argue with the editors about it. But I like the Asimov quote as it is, and readers should stop. Oh, so Asimov did last and they didn't change it? Say that again. I wasn't sure what you meant. Which is correct. As far as Asimov said, last or first? Last. Okay. Yeah, they didn't change it. They said it correctly, but okay. everyone else is like, that, that's that's not a logical statement. I'm like, I think it is a logical statement. I think it makes sense just the way it is. Well, even if it's not logical, we could just argue that Beast is a fan of Asimov and was quoting it. Cause, he has good taste then. Because he just remembers stuff like that, and he's probably a guy who would read that stuff, maybe. Maybe not. I don't know. Maybe he only reads nonfiction. I have no idea. So everyone's heard the Johnny Weissmuller yodel, uh-huh. that is the Tarzan yell. I don't think and it's I spelled remember. yeehaw. <laughs> well, my dad told me when I was young, mm-hmm. before I read the Tarzan books, because he had read the Tarzan books. In fact, he had a collection of all 24 books. Um, and he's like, well, in the books, he does the, like, the roar of a giant bull gorilla or something like that. Mm-hmm. And he does... I was like, well, what does that sound like? And my dad made this noise that I can still hear very precisely in my mind. Mm -hmm. It's very scary and ferocious and startling the first time you hear it. I'm not going to do it now because it's very loud. Um, But you can YouTube it. it. Yeah, but it's it's what I imagine Kazar is doing here. That said – it's funny because like my dad is not much for entertainment like on those levels. He's a he's a a, uh, a talk radio kind of guy. Mm-hmm. But uh, two things that he, I do remember, or three things, he likes James Bond. He liked the original um, George Reeve uh, Superman. Like anytime that marathon, we'd watch that. Good. And around, I guess around that same era, all those Tarzan movies. Um, so I totally know the yodel you're talking about. It has. No sound whatsoever like any animal that I've ever heard, but it is super iconic. Very iconic. Um, or ear-conic. Ear-conic, yeah. 
So, but yeah, I, I imagine in the mo- in the books and stuff, it was more an actual, you know, recreation of some sort of animal as opposed to just some weird random yodel noise. Um, Cyclops and Jean are both very annoying and yet also very relatable because every single damn time they interact, they agonize over each other. Yeah, we seem to have a couple couples like that going on right now. Uh, yeah. They are one of the few, if not the only, that is just the two of them as opposed to a three-way with right. some third, you know, Foggy, Karen, Matt, or Tony, uh, Happy, uh, Pepper. This is just the two of them not understanding as they have thought balloons about how they love each other. And like the angel is definitely interested in Gene, but even at this point, that feels very much like a yeah. secondary or tertiary aspect of it. It is not important to the fact that Scott and Gene really need to get a room. I mean, outside of that one kind of date they went on, I don't think angels even had any thoughts about her lately. They haven't shown much lately. No, they'll come back to it. Oh, okay. Because they have to add that third wheel. Yeah. It's not complicated enough. But it's like the 40-year-old person reading these comics is like, oh, my God, can y'all just, like, talk to each other? But then, like, the side of me that has, you know, children and, you know, spends time in stories where relationship angst is very much a thing uh-huh. can also be like, yeah, I, I, I get that feel. Plus, of all the ones that are, you know, not talking to each other, they are the 18-year-olds. So, at least you can kind of... At least we can blame it on them for being 18. Yeah, empathize with their not having some sort of social awkwardness, especially Scott, who probably doesn't have a great uh, upbringing to begin with. So he's probably socially awkward in general, right? He would be like Steve in the car. And Peggy looks over and says, you have no idea how to talk to women, do you? Yep. Yep. Yeah, because he's probably been picked on his whole life until he got to this. Don't forget the orphanage. Yeah, exactly. We don't know all that stuff. I'm sorry. We don't know all that stuff yet, but we know. Yeah. So Kazar seals off the Savage Land. And we never see um, it again. We never do. I I honestly don't know if that gets explained or ignored when they come here again. So I'm, I'm curious to see what happens there. We will see. But good, fun first issue for 1965, I think. I enjoyed it. Yeah. Um, one of our better X-Men issues, and possibly because it doesn't really focus too much on the X-Men. Yeah, I don't know. It's weird. Like, I can't think of any X-Men stories that are great, but I'm kind of enjoying them anyway. Yeah. I just, I've never read these early, you know, original Team X-Men, so it's kind of fun to see what's in inside every every time we get to one. Well, that takes us over to some tales that will astonish you. Issue 66. That's not actually the name of the story. Tales to Astonish. We have a new corner box. Oh, okay. Because he's got a helmet. He has a helmet. It actually started last issue, and it's actually the exact same art. With blue helmet drawn over his head. Yeah. Um, And his hand is colored blue now instead of red. That helmet we don't like. <clears throat> yeah. Although, honestly, I I find myself not hating it in this issue. Yeah. The, the, su- the suit's growing on me. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's Giant Man. <laughs> uh, it, yep. The new Giant Man starring in The Menace of Madame Macabre. Story, Smiling Stan Lee. Art, Beeman Bobby Powell. Inking friendly Frankie Ray and lettering Sunny Old Sherrigale. That was a tough letter job right there. They've got that in perspective. Yeah. Yeah, with a little angle going on that window. That's pretty great. Yeah. Okay, so Giant Man is uh, working on his TV antenna. He evidently has his flat rigged that he can giant his way through one ceiling of one floor to their place. And then through the roof of the building as well. 
So this is like continuous opening. And then he pokes his head out the skylight and he can work on the TV aerial for the building. It's a pretty so cool pinup. Yeah. So Wasp wants to talk to him and she's like, he's not going to hear me from way down here. So she shrinks down to Waspy size and goes flying around up there to talk to him. And she tells him about this person named Madame Macabre, who is some sort of um, uh, Asian scientist who can make things grow and shrink at will. And Hank's like, huh, that sounds just like the sort of concept that would make a good giant man plot. We should go investigate it. So um, we see Madame Macabre, and she's all about standing with one hand in the air and pointing or posing, you know, dramatically to make things grow and shrink. And she has this uh, assistant. She makes this tank grow or tractor, whatever, but she can't do it to living things. She can only, so she has these toys that she causes to grow and shrink. And I was expecting there to be something special about the toys, but mm-hmm. no, she just does it with totally. Toys. Um, okay. So she goes and visits Henry Pym, who uh, is giant whenever she shows up. So this is a cool panel where he like shrinks down to the regular size to talk to her. Janet feels a little bit put out because Madame Cobb is a bit beautiful and she wants to talk to Henry alone. So she leaves and she's like, yeah. Um, when I was a child, this dude named the Mandarin was in my town and, and, uh, he, uh, helped pay for my education and I went and got all these studies and now I want to take over the world with my growing and shrinking powers and you have growing and shrinking powers. We should totally rule the world together. You can bring your Avengers skills. And he's like, um, yeah. No, I, I, no, I'm not going to do that. So she's like, fine, then we're enemies. And she leaves. And Janet's like, I'm so glad she left. I thought, you know, I thought that, I thought that and he's like, Jan. And they have a little snuggle and moment where he like reassures her of his love. It's all very cute and sweet. Okay. So then the wasp puts on a jacket and goes to an art exhibit where they want her to do like a, a special ex- exhibition. She goes to the art exhibit, and there are all these signs. They're like, okay, now go back to this back hallway. Now go down this creepy stairway. Now go into this very dark room. And she does all these things, thinking it's a little bit weird, and then she's captured. Mm-hmm. So um, Henry Pym tells their cat to stay behind, because they have a cat now. He turns into Giant Man, and he goes after Madame Cobb, finds her, uh, finds the wasp, rescues the wasp. But the room that he's in begins to shrink around him and the it doesn't break whenever it starts to close around his body. It starts to hurt. So he has to shrink down with the house. He's trapped in this house and he's trapped in ant size. So now Janet wakes up and realizes that she needs to save Henry. So friggin fantastic because Jan has to go save Henry. So she flies to Madame Macabre's place and she attacks her, but, and she sees Henry and she's about to rescue him. But then Madame Macabre traps her in a bottle and puts the cork in the bottle. So that didn't last long, but she breaks out. Oh no, she's back in action. Madame Macabre uses the toys and makes the toys get big, but she like drives the tractor and she drives it over Henry's box to crush the plastic. And she's a bit concerned about Henry, but Henry, of course, um, breaks out and stops Madame Cobb, slaps her around, takes her to the police, and they relax in their um, house again at the end. And this was possibly the best giant man story I've ever read. I kept waiting 
for the big reveal as to what her secret was about her power. And then it turns out it's her wig. And I'm Does like, it say it's her wig? Oh, it's her wig, isn't it? That was the big reveal is that Wasp pulls her hair off and it's like, oh, your controls for your size are inside this, the microchips inside this wig. And then that allowed uh, Giant Man to be free because she wasn't controlling the house anymore because she wasn't wearing the wig. So uh, she really came up with a, a version of his own helmet technology. Basically, but I don't know why, but like I thought for some reason it was going to be more about this guy that she has sculpting for her, you know? Right. Like there I was on a few a- elements of the story that seemed to be like they were going to be more involved than they were. Yeah, like the Mandarin for instance. Like why did he think that why was did, just like a, why did really he have like to send her to we're school? Gonna, what did that do? Nothing. Nothing at all whatsoever. Yeah. But yeah, it's really cool. Did you even read the caption at the end? It's like um we slated, slanted this story specifically for those who have felt the wasp wasn't – I can't even read it. It's too blurry for me right now. Hasn't done enough in past stories. So we hope you are, you're satisfied. And for those who think she did too much, oh, well, we can't win them all. So I find that interesting that we in 2019 weren't the only ones complaining about wasp action back in 1960s. Right. That's cool. Yeah. There's hope yeah, for, it is very cool. Cult for, for, for uh, 60s humanity after all, I guess. Well, she definitely got to be the star. Uh-huh. Um, and, you know, you think it's going to go backwards because she does get trapped, but then she busts out. And honestly, she should have done this every other time she got broken in a glass bottle or got trapped in a glass bottle. She should. Well, okay. So, no, she. Um, the reason she's able to break out is because um, Madame Cobb starts shrinking the bottle. But since her powers don't work on organics the cork in the bottle doesn't shrink and it breaks the bottle so yeah it breaks the bottle um i guess yeah i guess she cannot break glass with her own strength inside although you'd think she would because she's supposed to is doesn't she still have full-size strength i would assume so because that's how giant man works that was a big thing with Ant-Man was that he still had normal size strength as Ant-Man. But, you know, if you uh, look never- at the picture, it's like she's locked into that thing. If you can't swing or, you know, you still need physics, I guess, maybe. Can you yeah. can you push glass open even with your – can you do that? I don't know. If I could just squeeze a bottle really hard with the glass break, I don't know. It'd probably cut my yeah, hands. Yeah, okay. Yeah, because – Depending on the the curve and the thickness of the glass, you're right. That might be actually really hard to do. And she's pushing from the outside, not from the inside. I'm pretty sure you'd have more power going for you if you were pushing. I'm sorry. She's pushing from the inside, not from the outside. Yeah. I think from the outside, you'd have a better chance of crushing it Mm -hmm. than you would from the inside breaking it apart. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like if you were buried alive in 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 a casket and now you haven't. I mean, how do you punch your way out? You can't. There's no room to swing your fists or anything, right? Right. Kind of just bottled in there. Hey, a bottle. Okay. Uh, I think she has a new costume too. Or are they just painting it blue to match his blue? Um, so she does have a blue headpiece now. And it might be the same style, just colored blue. When we saw her at the Fantastic Four's party last uh, in the Fantastic Four issue, mm-hmm. her tunic was also blue. Okay. And here it's red. So she has a blue tunic and a red tunic. But she definitely has more blue in her costume to go along with Giant Man's increased blue as well. And her W looks much bigger, but that could just be an artist's interpretation. It also stands out more because it's red against blue instead of yeah. black against red. Right, yeah. Yeah, so like the beginning, just to keep dwelling on that, she has this weird guy named 
go-go or whatever. And she's like, the only things I can shrink and grow are things fashioned by your hands out of the uncanny plastic material you have developed. So I guess that in combination with her machine, her, you know, mechanical wig or whatever, her, uh, her iPad wig is like, is what works. It has to be those two things. I guess, although I feel like she does other stuff. I guess the Jan says that the glass is plasticized. Uh, oh, yeah. He didn't sculpt that glass, so she's able to do that, I guess. Yeah, that seems weird. Yeah. Um, maybe, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't, think that, I don't think that part of the story is entirely consistent. I also find that whole, the bit with the conversation a little like, what was she expecting exactly, you know? Mm-hmm. But otherwise, it's a pretty good issue, yeah. The art is phenomenal throughout. Mm-hmm. Everyone's faces and poses look really good. The scenes of giant man trapped inside. Yeah. I mean, the panel on the bottom of page nine and on the top of page 10, uh-huh. he's physically trapped inside the dimensions of the panel yeah so it's like it's like a cross section of the house and he's pushing up against the walls of the panel it's great yeah that was really well done you could you could feel the pressure yeah yeah the first page is like one of my favorite drawings of giant man uh, honestly that we have ever had where he's in, adjusting his satellite yeah uh-huh that is pretty cool and like just just posed inside the house and going up through two stories of house and jan's just down there going hey and they're being romantic again, so they're not they're not backing off on that. They established that kind of last issue, and I'm glad it's continuing. Like they're not doing mm-hmm. the, they're not doing the stupid oh, why won't you kiss me? Oh, I don't want to kiss a girl with cooties thing anymore. They're just boyfriend right. girlfriend now. And they're being healthy about the relationship. Mm-hmm. Jan gets some, um, you know, she gets a little self conscious because a really beautiful woman walks in, and and they have a moment to like reaffirm their love, and it's. It's yeah. great. It's it's actually some really solid relationship writing. And they have a cat. And Jan is shrinking and growing. I don't think she's talking about pills anymore. I actually had a note about that. Like, she's not necessarily, she hasn't said she doesn't have to take pills anymore, but she looks like she's just shrinking and growing now yeah. on this on this page where she's trying to zero in on their cybernetic impulses to find, I like that they can pick up each other too. That's kind of cool. Mm-hmm. They can track each other by, because they both have the same kind of helmet frequencies, I guess. But and maybe we could actually posit that it's her new helmet yeah. that is giving her size-changing powers like yeah. this. I mean, it might have been cool if on panel they gave her this ability, but I'm cool with just assuming that she has it too at this point. Yeah, yeah, me too. Um, by the time they come back to the Avengers after their hiatus, mm-hmm. she is shrinking and growing with no assistance whatsoever. Good. So there, there's, in fact, her opening story, she's in a swimsuit. And she changes to uh, wasp size. Oh. So that is completely mental at that point. And um, uh, there hasn't been any uh, giant man making her shrink and grow. On, they but, haven't mentioned know, that in a while. They haven't either. mentioned that in a while. So that's- There was an Avengers issue. It's like, I'm so glad you can still do this. Yeah. I think there was eight, maybe. Um, and just, I, I was reading this and I was like, why has this guy <laughs> not been drawing the entire series? <laughs> Well, and and apparently influencing the writing too, because it's just much better. So it's it's really sad that we're down to now three stories, and it's actually leaps and bound improved. But yeah, this is the pre-anti penultimate story, which means that it's the fourth from the end. Uh huh. So we got three um, more to go. Three more to go. That's sad because we've been suffering so long, and now it's good, and then they're going to get rid of it. But oh well. Um, page ten, panel seven. Where's page ten? Page ten. One, two, three, four, five. So the last panel. Um. No, that's not right. The, oh, here we go. Pa- panel six, the next to last panel. 
she was trapped in the bottle. She says, this should qualify me for the booby prize of the year. And I'm like, huh, she said prize. <laughs> yeah. That's that's the that's the joke in our house. That's how we do that. Joke. She said prize. <laughs> Phrasing on the wrong word. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, I kind of liked how Powell was throwing out some traditional panel borders in this. Mm-hmm. Um, sort of playing with the comic layout and not really having to follow some of the same rules. Mm-hmm. And Madame Macabre never comes back. She's not the most memorable thing about this story for sure. Like I don't she's like Giant Man Light kind of. So Right. Which feels like as Giant Man as like an evil version of Giant Man, she should be able to come back, but she doesn't. Yeah, if she could figure out how to make herself turn into giant woman, that'd be kind of fun. Mm-hmm. Or something like that. But just making tanks shrink and grow. Like that's something Hank Pym will be able to do no problem pretty soon. So but yeah, so glad that the letter writers were calling in and complaining that Jan wasn't being used enough. Because I know. I'm really surprised at that. Are we ready for Hulk? Hulk. The power. Of Dr. Banner. Oh, of not even the Hulk. Wow, yeah. Yeah. This is power-packed script by Stan Lee. Hard-hitting art by Steve Ditko. Two-fisted inking by Vince Coletta. Silken soft lettering by Calvin Klein. I mean, <laughs> Art Simic. <laughs> Okay, so Hulk was hiding out with a guy who was, like, giving him food and helping him hide, uh-huh. treated his wounds, and now Hulk's going to get away, but a guy sneaks up behind him, a, uh, a Soviet commandant sneaks up behind him with a proton gun and shoots it at the Hulk, but Hulk's friend dives in the way of the blast, takes the brunt of the proton blast, the shooter runs away because the proton gun cannot fire multiple charges, has to recharge for like an hour or so. Um, and the guy who saved the Hulk dies. And Hulk like has this moment when he thinks about all the things this guy did for him in two panels last issue. He's like, oh, my God, they killed Hulk's friend. They killed Hulk's friend. Now it's Hulk's turn. And he like goes after the guy who shot his friend. And there's like two or three pages and just like bashing buildings and tearing down walls and roaring and stomping. And then he's like in the middle of tearing down a wall when he turns back into Bruce Banner, because of course, whenever his heart rate gets too high as the Hulk, he's going to turn back into Bruce Banner. Um, There is an armored force of Soviet tanks rumbling across the countryside. And back in the United States, there is a conference going between Major Talbot, Thunderbolt Ross, and some others. Um, no, not that about Ross, just some other high ranked, um, army person. So they sell, tell him that, you know, maybe Banner actually was a security risk. You warned us. We've got to make sure he never talks to the Reds about all the secrets that he has. And at Thunderbolt Ross's command, he and Betty are talking about how Banner is a traitor. And Betty's like, no, he's not. And Glenn Talbot shows up and says, yes, he is. And Betty says, but I love him. And they say, maybe you shouldn't. And she cries. And then we go to the leader, because he hasn't been around for a while. And he like calls the chameleon on Skype and says, hey, you know, what's going on with uh, with Dr. Banner? Do you know where he is? And uh, chameleon's like, yeah. In fact, I was just about to call you because we think he's defected to the Soviets. And the leader's like, ooh, I should go look at the Soviets. In fact, I'm going to go call my uh, Soviet friend, the commissar. The commissar's like, yeah, we got Banner here. We've got him in prison. So we're just going to, um, you know, not tell you about him. They don't know that Banner has broken out of prison, that he is running around as the Hulk. Um, 
Some jets go and attack Banner while he's running across the countryside. He runs. He passes the body of his dead friend. Thinking about his dead friend makes him get excited. He turns back into the Hulk just in time to get blasted by a plane. The Hulk doesn't get hurt, but he does jump into the sky, tear some planes out of the sky. And as the uh, military might is bearing down on the Hulk, the Hulk is ready to rip all of them a brand new gamma-powered a-hole. So, um, and that's where the story ends. Yeah. Uh, I like the beginning of this with the dead guy and Hulk getting mad about it. But then I think like your summary kind of indicates it's a lot of just like, yes, he is. No, he isn't conversations Mm -hmm. for multiple pages, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, which kind of got a little meandering. And then he just like turns back to the Hulk again. So we really didn't, I don't know. Kind of went nowhere, sort of felt like, but it's a ten-page strip, and the first three pages are really cool Hulk mm-hmm. action. Yeah, and the last three pages are really cool Hulk action. Yes, and the four pages in between are like, let's keep all the subplots going and give us enough narrative to connect the action scenes together. That's what it is. It feels like they're recapping the subplots, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. in a very stiff, non-natural kind of way. So it just was kind of a chore to read through. I found, but. But, uh, you know, can't win I them all. I feel like this story needs a new direction. Mm-hmm. Like, there there needs to be something going on to make each chapter more interesting than just, oh, here's the Hulk tearing stuff up again, and everyone wants to know where Bruce Banner is. I think We've been, we've been oh, playing that fiddle for a while We now. need to have Banner get a life, because his whole life is basically just being a pawn of wherever he wakes up and then waiting to turn back into the Hulk again. But I honestly feel like that's how the Hulk works. I haven't read a whole lot of Hulk. I think you're right. And I've always kind of wondered about that. Like, is Bruce Banner even an interesting character? Or do we just care about the Hulk? And they kind of write it like we should just care about the Hulk. Because Banner Mm -hmm. is always just like this thing that we're waiting to turn into the Hulk. (laughs) Like, he doesn't have... I don't know. When was the last time he and Betty even really interacted in a romantic way or anything, you know? like Not, Yeah, it, it's been a it's while. It's like he doesn't have – other than his friendship with Rick, which I sometimes find endearing, like I don't know what he, what or who he is really. Or And Betty is always the same note. Uh-huh. Especially but honestly, lately. every character in this is always the same note. Major Talbot, mm-hmm. Thunderbolt Ross, Betty Ross – they play a single string on the fiddle. Even the leader has been very repetitive so far. Mm-hmm. Like I, so, as the most intelligent person in the world, I think Banner and Hulk are somehow associated with one another. <laughs> it's like you're not that intelligent. <laughs> you're you're almost as caught up as the readers are. Right. <laughs> um. So yeah, I'm curious to see if the whole changing back to Banner when you get too excited as the Hulk thing that annoys us so much. I'm wondering if that changes when Ditko leaves. So here's my, I created a headcanon for this story because it was driving me so bonkers. Like, Mm -hmm. how is this possible? This makes no sense. So it's like, okay, let's figure out a way for this to make sense. They will never explain it this way. But my headcanon now is that Bruce Banner is still powerful enough inside that when the Hulk reaches a certain level of agitation, that scares Banner as to what the Hulk will do, and he shuts it down. Oh. So that's the only thing I can come up with that made me somewhat happy that it makes no otherwise sense that the Hulk, the more he agitated he gets, the more likely he'll turn back to Bruce Banner. Yeah. That's kind of weird. But It is. Um, we are definitely in the era now of pretty much stereotype green Hulk smash Hulk, though. Like, he's not having a lot of dialogue anymore like he used not to. Not anymore. 
mean, he hasn't had much occasion to. Is this the first man that Hulk has ever claimed to have as a friend? I think so. This is that very he, Frankenstein blind guy moment, kind of. He never liked Rick. No, well, he did work with Rick once back when he had more syllables, but. Well, there was that they thing went on in the, an like airplane the last ride two or together. three issues of the original series where he had Bruce Banner's brain. Well, there was that too, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, he usually doesn't like Rick that much, although he's never killed him, so I guess he doesn't hate him that bad. I don't know. He's tried. He has tried. <laughs> That's right. He has tried. Major Talbot shows up on page four, and I'm just like, okay, yeah, Major Talbot. He's like, that's why I really wanted this mission. They'll never believe he's a traitor unless I bring them proof. And most of all, I must convince Betty Ross of his guilt in order to win her love. Yeah, thanks, Talbot. We knew you were a sleazeball, but thank you for reminding us. Well, I wasn't on board with your sleazeball thing at first, but yep, here he is now. I knew it was going to happen eventually, and this is it. That's the panel. I mean, before that, um, I kept arguing that, you know, he was maybe just doing his job, but that was a bad thought. Yeah, yeah, he's, yeah, he's not a good man. Nope. I was surprised to see the chameleon again. That was a one, just a one panel. almost feel like, yeah, it's just for one panel, but it feels like they're, like, they're kind of tight. They work together. Yeah, I guess. I mean, I I never knew that before reading these stories, and I don't know if that continues or what, but I guess if. You're the chameleon. You work for whoever pays you, right? Yeah. And this story does get adapted into the Marvel superheroes cartoon. And so the chameleon shows up in that too. Okay. And my son was like, wait a second. The chameleon's a Spider-Man villain. What's he doing in this cartoon? Uh-huh. So I kind of want to think that way back in the first chameleon story, whenever he was stealing those plans for some random Soviet that he was actually working for the leader there as well, mm. or that maybe that work brought him to the attention of the leader, and that's why he's been hired to work with them. Well, it's interesting that the leader is pretending to work for the Soviets. Mm-hmm. So that could have been how they all got connected. Sure. Easily. Yeah, he thinks that he says, I'm going to contact the world leaders who are foolish enough to think that the leader works only for them. So they do think he works for them. Right. Until maybe this issue, because he just hangs up and they get mad at him. So maybe he's over that pretending thing now. Uh, We don't talk about art a lot. I'm not sure this is my favorite Ditko art. He seems a little like rushed here. But I do love page eight's transformation quite a bit, uh, where it's Bruce Banner who gets the brunt of this missile. And he's flying Mm -hmm. across the room. But as he's flying, he's changing. And then by the time he hits the wall, he's the Hulk. That was pretty cool. That was a pretty great transition. Mm Mm-hmm. And the last page I really like too. What it's like, just stalking towards the camera. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no one can foretell the outcome of the Hulk's next battle. Yeah, so I can't decide if next issue is going to be more of them him fighting this communist thing, or is this them wrapping that up, like it's over because he just destroyed them all. Um, I would hopefully, if this is not the end, it will end in the first part of the next chapter. Okay, like hopefully that's going to wrap next time. I haven't looked ahead, so I don't know. And it's been a while since I've read this. All right. Boy, we're really slow tonight. We should... Are we slow? I don't know. I feel like... It's been right at an hour. Yeah. We still have one more to go. We do still have one more to go. Okay. Well, <laughs> Thor's pretty cool. Thor is next pretty time cool. on Make Ours Marvel. Yeah, next time. Let's just do two tonight. No. Nah, let's keep it going. All right. We got the Mighty Thor. I'm sorry. We don't. We have Journey into Mystery with the Mighty Thor, number 114. Mm-hmm. They keep changing these logos to make him look less and less like Journey into Mystery and more like Thor. Uh, and it's called The Stronger I Am, The Sooner I Die, written 
at White Heat. What? By Stan Lee, drawn with purple passion by Jack Kirby, inked with golden serenity by Schick Stone, and lettered on a blue Monday by Sam Rosen. And it Okay. It yeah. It starts with um Thor fighting a supervillain who's essentially like a dude in a mask with a gun and he has like a dune buggy thing or something. And I don't know what he's doing. I guess maybe he robbed a bank or whatever, but he and Thor are fighting and the guy really has no chance because he's a dude with goggles and a gun. But meanwhile, an all new, all different Loki is watching from Asgard in a blue crystal thing. And he, oh, he does have new clothes today, doesn't he? He does and he looks kind of weird and different. Um, And he has some thing called a subatronic space disorder that sounds like magic right or some sort of disease and he puts a drop of that in and he shoots the pill into the crystal that he's watching and that magically transports it to thor and the idea is that thor's powers will all be gone but guess what it doesn't work because uh only odin can take thor's powers away as we learned in the MCU movie. Um, so it doesn't work. And Thor easily captures this guy. And he's like, ah, I can't take Thor's powers. Wow. I said that really weird. I can't take Thor's powers away. But remember that time I gave somebody my powers? Well, I'm going to do that again. So he finds um, Crusher Hogan's brother, Crusher Creed or something, whatever his name is. Creel. Crusher Creel. They're not really brothers. I just said that. But they're both bald and kind of ugly and got hairy stuff and crusher creel's in prison and he drops his subatronic space disorder with an invisible hand into crusher's drink crusher drinks it he immediately realizes he's got some power something's going on he starts a riot he's got a ball and chain permanently affixed to his leg which means he's a real bad customer they try and shoot him he turns to steel like the bullets he busts out of the prison and gets away and we cut to Don Blake treating a reporter for, I don't know, elbow injury or something. The reporter casually um, mentions that he is going to investigate this whole Crusher Creel escaping prison magic powers thing. Uh, Don Blake's like, oh, that sounds interesting. I, can, I should be uh, doing that too as Thor. He cancels his date with, with uh, 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 what's her face? Jane. Jane, thank you. There's too many women in this stuff um <laughs> jane pepper whatever uh yeah and turns to thor he goes to investigate himself wherever the the reporter said he was going to go he gets there faster of course because he's thor and crusher shows up he was hiding as a rock and because he can turn into rock and he start fighting and apparently the big surprise the big secret which we all know of course is that he's the absorbing man and he doesn't just turn to steel he turns to whatever's near him. So now that he's fighting Thor, he has the strength and power of Thor and his ball and chain has the strength and power of the Uru hammer. And they get into this big whirlwind fight. Just then the reporter that said, you know, started all this shows up because he's a little slower than Thor. He also brought a stick of dynamite because he thinks of himself, not just as a reporter, but as a guy who can take people out, I guess. And he throws the dynamite, but that doesn't really work. And Thor like has to pull him into his own, you know, riptide tornado thing to protect him from the explosion. Creed gets away. Um, Thor goes after him and he, you know, finds a bunch of eyewitnesses who, you know, this guy stole my car. This guy went that away. Anyway, um, Creed did steal somebody's car. He has a fantasy about what he's going to do with all these awesome powers. First, he's going to rob banks. Then maybe he'll take over a small country. Then maybe he'll take over the world. 
Um, but before that can happen, he has to get past Thor, who finds him in the car, destroys his car. They get into a big seismic fight again with lots of lightning and thunder and stuff, but it doesn't work because he just keeps absorbing the power. So then he gets into a fist fight with him. Also doesn't work because he keeps absorbing Thor's power. But then suddenly there's this weird, mysterious cloud or fog, and out from it comes Balder. And Thor's all kind of annoyed, like, how dare you interrupt a fight of me? And he's like, no, but... Um, you're needed because while you've been fighting this guy, Loki has stolen Jane. That was his plan the whole time, off camera. And Thor's like, oh, well, I'm definitely going to go after Jane then. So he jumps on the horse and he kind of abandons Creed. The vapor mist dissipates and Creed thinks that Thor ran away like a coward. So he's all like patting himself on the back for how powerful and awesome he is. Um, he thinks about killing the reporter who's still kind of meandering around, but he decides against it because he doesn't want any more heat on him right now. So he just kind of disappears back into being a rock and a tree. And Thor, meanwhile, gets on his white steed and heads towards uh, Loki's, you know, castle. And everybody's like, no, don't do it. It's a trap. And he's like, I know, but I have to save my boo. And uh, that's how it ends. So we'll see next issue what horrible, magical, nefarious traps await him. So, again, new corner box. This one is very similar to what we had before. Okay. But he was smiling before. I like you know, the new one. Like, he looks more stoic yeah, I do now. Too. Looks more Thor. His, his grin before was very silly 60s superhero. And now it's more like, you know, mm-hmm. not stern and not really solemn just either, mighty. but just like, you know, serious. Mm-hmm. Absorbing Man. He's famous. He is. I don't think he works the way I thought he worked, but I don't know if that's because there's just he's new and so he works different for this issue, or if I was always wrong about how he works. I thought he had to touch stuff. I thought he touched stuff and became the material of whatever he touched. Mm-hmm. But in this, and maybe it's not they're going to refine it to that. Yeah, I think they must because this whole like I'm just standing near you, so now I'm you is like not how I thought it worked. Yeah, that's more parasite. Mm-hmm. Hey, parasite without the. Without the- when did they invent Parasite? Um, that was... I'm putting you on the spot because you're the DC guy. It was later 60s. Okay. Um, so, so maybe 66, 67. Oh, so they're not copying Parasite with Absorbing Man? I don't think so. I could be wrong on that, but that's my memory. Okay, good. Um, continuity note. Uh-huh. This begins a continued story in Thor. Okay. That goes for a while. Unlike um, the meandering... Um, Hulk story, it does like go, it has a direction. Um, even though it sort of like changes from one direction to another and makes a new story, the story just kind of flows one into the other. Um, so that means there's no room for his Avengers appearances, and he's not going to be done with this until the Avengers don't have him on the team anymore. Wow. So he doesn't realize it yet because he mentions going to see the Avengers in this, but he's actually had his last Avengers story whenever he's in this adventure. Um, the issues 14, 15, and a little bit of 16 that he's in all happen before this issue. So, yeah, if you're reading chronologically, you have to put this after all that. Right. Because it's going to take 10 years. It will take, I think, the better part of a year to, to get to a uh, gap in the action. Now, we've had one bout of continuous story from Kirby since he's been on this, right? Yeah, we've had uh, two, I think maybe three um, episodes in a row that were like sort of one after the other. Or at least a lot of continued two-parters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, several two-parters. 
But I got to say, I didn't love the way this ended. It was kind of unsatisfying. So, uh, oh, because the crusher, the, the absorbing man fight just kind of ended. Yeah, it's like, and also I didn't like that Loki kidnaps what's her face off panel. That's not very dramatic. It didn't even hint at it. Like when we saw Loki earlier, he didn't even hint at any ulterior motive. No, he's just I'm going to go empower a guy to take on Thor. Yeah. Yeah, that was kind of weird. I just felt like that was just slapped on in the end, and I was into the fight, so I wanted to see some sort of resolution. And instead, he has—he never does figure out how to defeat this guy. Mm-hmm. And as far as I know, if you say, like you're saying, if this is going to keep going on, then I don't think he's coming back to this guy anytime soon. I can tell you if he does or not. I don't know if that's a spoiler. Go ahead. Uh, I think there's an issue where he goes off and does other things, and then gets reabsorbed into oh, absorbed, reabsorbed in this fight. So <laughs> it's not going anywhere. It's just taking a breathe for a second. Okay, good. Yeah, because I can't have Absorbing Man just, like, winning. That's not cool. Mm-hmm. We usually see Loki mess up Thor's day, but this issue opens with him trying to mess up Thor's day and failing with that race car driver. Yeah, I thought that was kind of cool that, or I don't know, I guess he doesn't realize that he can't take Thor's power. Maybe he just thought he could and he was trying something new and it didn't work. Yeah, whatever it was, it did not work so well for did him. did not work, but that is interesting i guess we kind of knew that our oh because it's related to the hammer i forgot i was gonna say it's interesting that these gods can have their power taken away but thor in particular that's kind of how it works if you drop Mm -hmm. drop his hammer he's a person he's a person loki has a a globe scanner and i'm wondering if it's the same technology that dr strange uses or the same magicology could be i really don't like his upgrade i gotta say i wasn't even sure that was him at first yeah, I like some of the outfits that Loki wears besides the classic horned getup, but this is not one of the ones mm-hmm. I love. No, it's like he's going to a party later or something. Yeah, but still wearing like like the metal half spheres on it, belts and shoulder yeah. wraps yeah, and stuff. It's weird. Still loves the yellow-green combo, too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, Crusher Creel does appear in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Really? Uh, as Yeah. He is hinted at in Daredevil. There are posters of him having fought Jack Murdoch as a young man. Wow. And then uh, as an older man, he is in the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. TV show, mm. and he gets his powers from a Hydra experiment. Okay. Um, Still got to watch that show. Yeah. It's it it's a show that grows in, as it moves along. It's... Well, I really like it. I need to watch the latest season because, you know, life has kept me busy. I want to watch it um, just because Patriot's on it. So, yeah. I mean, yeah, once I yeah. found that out, I was like, okay, I'm in. I got to start watching this show because. That's definitely love, worth seeing. I love the alternate caps, you know. Good stuff. Um, Don and Jane are cutesy in this. Yeah. Made me happy. And they like are acting boyfriend, girlfriend. So, like, all of our couples are having a good time. We saw Peter and Betty being friends the last time and. Um, Henry and Jan are being friendly, and Don and Jane are being lovey-dovey. Everyone loves each other. Yeah, Reed and Sue just got engaged. Do you think there was just some sort of like mass new, or you know, I don't know what they call them, like a uh, uh, mass memo of like let's stop being juvenile about relationships now or something? <laughs> uh, Maybe Stan office? or Marty Goodman was like, "Come on, y'all." I know, really. It's like we've got older readers here. We don't need to act like they're ten. Maybe, maybe. He calls her button nose. Like, they've got cutesy names, and they're going on a date. Yeah. And at no point does he say, I can't love her because Odin's going to kill me. Right. Yeah. So weird. When did, uh, He did, does do have they, to cancel that date. I was going to, yeah, but do they just ignore this whole Odin thing? Did that get old? Or? No, no. He's just, 
he's going to like, he made the resolution last issue to like, start, you know, loving her regardless. Uh-huh. He couldn't convince her he was Thor because that didn't work out, mm-hmm. but he's, I think he still decided to, to love Jane. Jane. Okay. So Odin might throw a wrench in that someday. We'll mm-hmm. see. No Odin in this issue, actually, even though all this Asgard stuff. Yeah. They talk about him, mm-hmm. but I don't think we, do we see him at the beginning with Loki? Nope. No, I'm just thinking of, I was listening to our new episode today and I was thinking of Odin being in that. Yeah. Uh, which is the last issue before this. Okay. So, um, the reporter. I feel like he's supposed to be somebody and he's going to be revealed, but I don't know who I'm guessing. He's not supposed to be somebody, but he is around for a while. More, he, he, he just is involved in the story for longer than you'd expect. So he, keep him in the back of your head. Oh, so he's not secretly Odin in disguise this whole time or something? No, he's secretly a reporter in disguise. Okay. <laughs> he is a little odd, this reporter who walks around with sticks of dynamite just in case. But, just in case. Yeah. Like Arnst would say, don't do that because they'll blow up and you'll have a little bit of Arnst on you. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, I don't know, cool fight. I like the whole page where he's fantasizing about what he's going to do with his power. I don't know. That's just a cool character beat, like how delusional he is, I guess. Yeah, it's just funny because he's a simple man. His <laughs> dreams are simple. He thinks he could just, you know, take over a country and then take over the world. That's going to work out for him. I feel like he could get away with the robbing the banks and he maybe even could take over a small country with his powers. But then he jumps it to the whole world. That's a little. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. And page 13, um, let's see, 13, I'm just trying to see what I was referencing. Oh, this is 15, that's why I'm not finding it. Well, page 13. 13 is Thor trashing a car, which looked really cool, but that's neither here nor there, I guess. Oh, that's not weird either. Um, huh. Oh, well, never mind. Um, yeah, I don't really have anything else. The, the capturing of Jane was unexpected. It wasn't set up or foreshadowed, just kind of like mm-hmm. out of nowhere. At the same time, that happens. Like, your bad guy does stuff without you knowing about, but rather than being the beginning of a story, it's the dramatic moment to lead us into next story. I suppose, but if I, not that I know anything about writing, but if I was a writer, I would feel like you're robbing the audience of some drama there by not, yeah. not showing the kidnapping or, or even the intention of a kidnapping. Kind of weird, but that's okay. Because there's, there's, there are conceits of storytelling that supersede naturalism. Mm-hmm. I guess if you're just strictly. Thor, first-person point of view, then yeah, he's not going to know about a kidnapped Jane. But ooh, ooh, ooh. can I can I uh, recap the next story real quick? <laughs> sure. Go read Little Red Riding Hood. <laughs> Pretty much, only yeah. less involved, but yeah, it's called The Golden Apples, a fabulous featurette by the greatest names in comicdom, Stanley and Jack Kirby, inking Vince Coletta, lettering Artie Semek, and it's about a goddess, Red Riding Hood. Named uh, uh, Iduna, Iduna, mm-hmm. and she's talking to uh, that guy that we met already. I think once, and I don't remember his name. Hakun the Hunter. It's Hakun the Hunter. It's not Honir the Hunter. Okay, so this is this a different the Hunter? Mm-hmm. How many of the hunters do they have? Okay, well, it's a pretty big place. They have lots of hunters, and every hunter calls themselves Larry the Hunter. Well, that's what I would call myself. All right, I guess that's true. If I could hunt Mike the Hunter, that'd be pretty awesome. Okay. Yeah. Hakun, not the other guy that I thought we were talking about, is encountering Iduna, Iduna, Yuduna too. And she's got she's got a basket of golden apples which create or cause or have a byproduct of giving the eater uh, you know, immortality. And once a year she delivers this basket to Odin and he decides who he gives the apples to, presumably all those gods that we like to read about. Um so he's like, "Okay, on your way then." 
And she's going through this deep, murky, scary forest. And there's this wolf god named Fenris. And he wants those apples. So he turns to a person and he's like, am I? What pretty apples you have? And she's like, you're weird. And she's like, you have a weird beast face and you have weird beast teeth. And he's like, all the better to eat you or whatever. And he turns into the wolf and he's about to kill her. But our friend Larry the Hunter, I guess, didn't go very far because he's been following her. And he shows up and he throws his axe and his axe is unerring and can just fly around until it hits its target so it hits Fenris and kills him and Fenris is hurled into Varenheim which is like a land of lost souls or something and then they just go on their way and deliver the apples and then there's this big caption that says and this authentic Norse tale someday gets watered down into what is known as Little Red Riding Hood. The end. I cry fake but I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I think that's baloney. Well, yeah, before we see what our, our Asgardian advisor has to say, um, this is the first appearance of Iduna, mm-hmm. also known as Idun, mm. um, which sounds a lot like Eden. Uh-huh. And so the, the linguist in the back of my brain is wondering if this Eden and the biblical Eden have any connection because they both involve fruit of life. Uh-huh. I could see that. Um, so I don't know at I all. I didn't know because she's a reoccurring character we're supposed to care about. I've never heard of her. Um, she does not show up as much as her golden apples do. Okay. The golden apples of Eden are a thing in uh, Thor stories that come up from time to time. In the read through I did up to the Walt Simonson run, I probably saw them, you know, three or four times. And that's what gives Asgardians their long life. That's what gives them their long life. If they don't eat the apples, they can't live forever. Okay. I knew it was something. I never knew what it was. So there you go. It's a little bit weird because you just think that they're always living forever. But if they don't have these apples, that will not happen. Yeah. No, I didn't think they lived forever. I thought they just had really long lives. But that's probably because of the apples. Yeah. Well, as I was saying, it's like you just think that they just live Yeah, I think, they're I think living. Greek gods in Marvel are immortal, though. Just, they may be. But they may be. I, don't quote me on that. Um, just, just to clarify, Eden is not even the Hebrew name of the Garden of Eden. It's like um, a name that put got you know overlaid on the actual hebrew there if i remember my studies correctly from 15 20 years ago um so and also that's israel and this is norway and those are very very far apart i don't expect that there's any connection between them but i do wonder if there is one mm-hmm. i i i mean if there is i wouldn't be surprised it seems off ob- yeah. pretty obvious but so fenris mm-hmm. is also known as fenrir i heard of fenris Mm-hmm. Hulk beat him up once. And I think of Fenris because of the Von Strucker, Strucker twins. Oh, okay. Yeah. Andreas and Andrea Strucker call themselves, the company that they run is called Fenris, named after the same wolf god. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think they're actually connected. I think they just named themselves after him. Yeah. But he doesn't actually appear very much. Like I've always, when I hear Fenrir and Fenris, I always think of him as being associated with Thor, but it's like, it's just one of those like background names that gets mentioned every now and then. He doesn't actually show up on the panel very often. I always think of him as a giant wolf too, and he just seems like kind of a normal wolf in this, but other, other yeah. than a shape changing ability. Right. Exact same thought in my head. We will never see him again on this show, though. His next appearance is way far okay. off. Okay. Well, because he's banished to the shadow land of the lost. Right. Which lies near right. the netherworld at the farthest reaches of the endless cosmos. <laughs> I don't know what that is, because, like, don't they already have a couple places where dead people go? Now there's a third one? I know that Gene addresses that, so we can definitely okay. definitely look at that. Okay. 
Evidently, the Little Red Riding Hood story has a lot of very similar stories in older European cultures. Mm. And there is a Norse version. Wow, really? Yeah, at least in the dialogue between the wolf and Little Red Riding Hood. Um, there, I'm looking at Wikipedia, and it says that the dialogue between those two has its analogies to the Norse Thrymskvida from the Elder Edda. The giant Thrymmer had stolen Mjolnir Thor's hammer and demanded Freya as his bride for its return. Instead, the gods dressed Thor as a bride and sent him. When the giants note Thor's unladylike eyes, eating, and drinking, Loki explains them as Freya's not having slept or eaten or drunk. So the whole, like, you know, what big eyes you have, mm-hmm. what big stomach you have, all that other stuff. Yeah. So that's similar to that. But um, I don't think the actual story is in Norse roots, yeah. which does go along with what Gene says. All right, let's hear so, it. They already have any other oh, thoughts. No, let's hear it. Okay. He says, getting over there. Ugh. <laughs> really? Little Red Riding Hood? I think this is a new low for this strip. Yay, I knew it. First of all, Fenrir, a.k.a. Fenris, never wandered around on his own. He was found very young, along with his siblings, Hel and the Midgard Serpent. So, what? Fenris the wolf god, Hel is his sister, and so is the Midgard Serpent. Good lord, that's news. Okay. Odin took him to Asgard, and there he was raised until he became so large that the gods became frightened of him and chained him. Aww. So that's the, that's the story of Fenris in the Norse myth. Well, no wonder he's an evil wolf. Second, Vanirheim, or Varenheim at the end, which may or may not even be one of the Nine Realms, depending upon what source you're using, is the home of another tribe of gods, the Vanir. So... Vanirheim is the correct name. They have it misspelled as Varenheim in the book. Um, and this tribe of gods, the Aesir, fought very early on. The two tribes exchanged hostages at the end of their war to help ensure the peace. Frey, Freya, and their father Njord are the hostages from the Vanir that came to live in Asgard. So Vanirheim is not the realm of the lost. It's not an afterlife. Which yeah, that's more like Niflheim, and it's also not where Fenrir is bound. So Gene says this was just bad on multiple levels. And not about Red Riding Hood. Not about Red Riding Hood. All right. Well, not a shocker to me. Yeah. Although, man, in the beginning of this, they sure do act like they've uncovered this awesome special tale. <laughs> I think that they were pulling based, our leg. It says, based on a newly translated version of one of the world's most ancient legends. So, like, they make it sound legit like they were at the library in late hours looking this up. Yeah, they were somewhere <laughs> at late hours. Yeah. So, I think that does it for this episode. Yeah. You know why it feels like it's taking longer is because we've had a lot of episodes lately where it's like we've hated all three stories. So, it just goes fast. And tonight was not that night. I kind of enjoyed a lot yeah. of them. Yeah, it's a solid start to 1965. Mm-hmm. So, um, I want to say thank you to some people who have been following us. Oh, by the way, our follower count is currently at 420. So, speaking of late night weird story writing time, yeah. <laughs> uh, yes, indeed. Um, but can you uh, tell people where to find us while I get our follower list up? I'll tell them our homework assignment. Oh, yeah, yeah, homework, homework. Um, so next episode we'll do 
Three more. We got Sergeant Fury and his Howling Commandos, number 16. And they are stuck in the desert um, and are going to die from lack of stuck stuff. Stuck in the desert with you. Tales of Suspense, number 64. We've got Iron Man versus the all-new Black Widow and the return of Hawkeye. And we have a retelling of Captain America's famous Golden Age story, Sando and Omar. And then lastly, we have Avengers number 14, um, where even an Avenger can die. And they're trying to save the Wasp. And spoilers, John loved this issue. So look forward to that. (laughs) We actually have had one follower since our last recording. So over on Twitter, want to say hello. It's all about you today, bub. At Legion of Doom CTG, vintage and retro nerd culture, currently reading my Bronze Age DC Comics backlog and sharing thoughts. So if that's your bag, go follow them. And um, I'll go look and see. I don't think we've had anyone following us on Facebook lately, but where can we be found while I bring that well, up? Well, on Facebook or Twitter, you can just type in Make Ours Marvel. I think just Facebook. Facebook.com slash MakeOursMarvel or Twitter.com slash MakeOursMarvel um, or just search. That works too. You can also find us at MakeOursMarvel.com where we have links to both those social medias if that's easier for you. We also have links to all the feeds for Stitcher, Google Play, iTunes, of course. Um, I don't know. Anywhere you can play a podcast, any sort of app you use, just type in MakeOursMarvel and I hope we come up. Um, you can also contact us at podcast at makeoursmarvel.com. Every so often we do a mailbag episode, so get your letters in and we'll read them on the air sometime. I can be found on Twitter at John Reads Comics. Uh, my Image Comics show at All the Pouches is on there. My uh, Scarlet Witch tweet blog is at Let's Talk Wanda. Today I was working on episode 14 of Return to Cybertron, a Transformers UK podcast. So although that has not started releasing yet, you can follow it at TFUK podcast. And um, yeah, I think that wraps up our episode. So until next time, or until the Savage Land becomes the home of the Dinobots, make ours marvel. We were not supposed to leave. Four million years ago, two armies were stranded on a world not their own. Waking in the modern day, their ages-old alien conflict revives on the planet Earth. Scouring this new world for resources and safeguarding the native life from their war, their one goal remains. We have to go back. The stories of these Autobots, Decepticons, and humans were published in the United Kingdom in a weekly comic book and broadcast as an animated series. And now there will be a podcast exploring these chronicles in their entirety. We have to go back to Cybertron. Return to Cybertron, a Transformers UK podcast, coming October 31st, 2021.